0: Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can head over to the YouTube channel and watch the visual version every Wednesday, or you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts every Tuesday for the audio version. Now for today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of the Port Arthur Massacre. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Martin Bryant was born on May 7th, 1967 in Tasmania, Australia. He grew up with his parents, Caroline and Maurice, and had a younger sister. During his childhood, he was said to be very defiant and he always questioned the rules and he just overall found joy in taunting people or making them mad. He was just the type of kid that always pushed your buttons and it just got so bad to the point where even his parents, whenever they grew frustrated or walked away from Martin, they would always come back and find all of his toys either broken or ripped up so Martin could never really be alone by himself and this was not just an issue at home it was also going out in school as well but the school although he had very loud disruptive and violent behavior against both students the teachers also noticed that Martin had frequently disassociated or became very emotionless during class this was just kind of a thing that he often did and that is very concerning because that kind of lines up with sociopathic behaviors but But although the school was telling Martin all of their concerns, Martin's parents didn't really do much and his behavior just got worse and worse to the point where his little sister, every time his little sister would have friends over, Martin would make it a mission in order to bother them or make them mad, meaning that his sister's friends wouldn't want to come over to her house anymore. There was also another incident where Martin was swimming at a local pool with a couple of other kids. And this one kid went into the pool with a snorkel on. And while this boy was underwater, Martin had ripped off his snorkel, leading the kid to almost drown. And then in 1977, at the age of 10 years old, he was actually expelled from his school because of his behavior and was later given psychiatric evaluations. One of the psychologists mentioned that when he asked Martin what he liked to do for fun, Martin just replied, torturing animals. And torturing animals is something that you see a lot in a lot of like serial killer cases. Ted Bundy started off with animals. Jeffrey Dahmer started off with animals. And then the following year in 1978, at the age of 11 years old, he did return to school because his behavior actually did get a lot better after his psychiatric evaluations and all of his therapies. He had his days, but most of them were good. And then when he entered into public school again, that is when his behavior just basically got to where it was before as if he had made no progress at all and then in 1979 at the age of 12 years old that is when he actually transferred to a special education schooling in newtown high school and at this new school it was basically kind of like a military school in a way they were very strict on the rules and although he was transferred to this place his His behavior, instead of getting better, Martin's behavior just ended up getting 10 times worse socially and academically. And as for Martin's family, although there isn't much online about them, they were the type of family that loved to hunt. So at the age of 14, that's when Martin's dad, Maurice, had actually gifted Martin a rifle for his birthday to hunt. But what Maurice didn't know is that this would actually be the worst decision he's ever made because not only did this introduce Martin to the power of firearms, it also allowed him to feel the feeling of what it's like to kill something. And then on May 6th of 1983, that's when Martin drops out of school at the age of 15, but applies for disability so that he could still get money from the state, although he wasn't going to school. And in order to be qualified for this disability, he needed to take a series of tests, including an IQ test. On the IQ test, he ended up scoring a total of 66, where the average IQ score is around 100. And not only did he score very low on the IQ, he also struggled a lot with verbal and non-verbal reasoning, as well as cognitive function. After taking all these tests, that is when Martin was diagnosed with autism, and one of the psychologists actually said that Martin quote, cannot read or write, does a bit of gardening and watches TV, could be schizophrenic and parents face a bleak future with him. So basically, even the psychologist knew how bad Martin's behavior was. And on top of that, he was very hard to be educated. And so this psychologist was basically just saying Martin is a lost cause, which in my opinion is really, really like disgusting, especially coming from a psychologist. But But since this was the answer that the parents got from the actual doctors, the parents just decided to start neglecting Martin, and this would just basically make Martin want even more attention, and so he would go out of his way to do so. Martin did indeed get approved for his disability checks, but he just didn't want to sit at home all day, so that's when he started to mow lawns and landscape. In 1987, at the age of 19 years old, Martin's lawn mowing business had actually gotten really, really successful, and it was at this job where he met a woman by the name of Helen Harvey, who was 54 years old. Ellen was actually an heiress to a lottery fortune and had this huge mansion that she lived in with her mother. So basically, Helen had generational wealth, and she was basically just living out all this generational wealth with her mother. One day, Martin's landscaping business actually went over to Helen's house and Helen was very, very impressed at Martin because he had this very big successful business and he was super young. So that is when Martin becomes Helen's regular landscaper and he started to spend a lot of time there because since Helen was 54 years old, she didn't really have the energy or the ability to uh, keep up with the land of the home. And as I said, this was a mansion, so there was tons of lawn to be cut, tons of weeds to be pulled, and so this was not just a one-day job, this was a reoccurring job for an entire week, and so Martin had to return to Helen's for an entire week. But as Martin started to go over to the house more and more, that is when Martin and Helen actually started to become friends. They were going out to lunch together, spending their free time together, and having very deep conversations with one another. And then one day, an anonymous call is made to health authorities, who is complaining about Helen's living conditions, saying that she has 14 dogs, over 40 cats, and there's waste all over her home. She is a complete hoarder, and it's basically like a health violation to not only her, but those around her. And so the police actually follow up on this tip, and they go to Helen's house, and they find out that all of this was completely true. Helen's living conditions were terrible. The air in there was so still and murky and there was mold all over the place. A lot of dust and spiders were just living in her home and this is an extreme health violation to not only Helen but Helen's mother. And so Helen and Helen's mother is actually taken from their home into the hospital and while they're at the hospital they get a cleanup crew to be sent out to Helen's house and thoroughly clean the home. Due to this all of the animals were taken and it was true she actually did have 14 dogs and 11 cats and so because of that all of Helen's animals were indeed taken away from her, and not only that, but Helen was also forbidden to have any future pets at the home. So, Martin hears that Helen is at the hospital and he immediately goes to check up on her. And that is when Helen starts telling Martin that they took away all of her animals and she can't have any future animals. And there's this cleanup crew at the house, and so Martin decides, and she's afraid that they're going to throw away something meaningful to her or some sort of like like important document and so Martin says don't worry Helen I got this I'm gonna go to the house I'm gonna make sure that they're throwing away the right things I'm gonna make sure they're not gonna throw away anything they're not supposed to and so that's exactly what he did he goes back to the house and helps the cleaning crew unfortunately Helen's mother did pass away but Helen survived and she went home and so when she did go home although she was greeted with this huge beautiful clean home everything was spotless because of Martin and the cleaning crew, it was a really, really hard adjustment because she was going back to a completely empty house. She didn't have her mom, she didn't have her pets, and there was also no clutter around the house, which made it feel even more empty. And so with Helen being very lonely, Helen actually asks Martin a pretty big ask, and mind you, Martin at this point is 19 years old, and so Helen actually asks Martin to move in with her because she's so lonely, and Martin agrees, and he moves into this huge mansion with Helen. The two of them would wake up every morning, get ready, drink coffee together, go on lunches, go shopping, and go on many luxurious, and expensive trips and these two would spend basically every waking moment with each other and over the next three years, Helen actually bought over 30 cars and it's probably due to Martin because before this, Helen wasn't really one to spend all of her money, but as soon as Martin walks in, she's buying over 30 cars and all of these expensive trips. And so three years later, that is when Martin had to be re-evaluated for his disability checks, but this time around, psychologists actually found something concerning. Martin's father, Maurice, when Martin was a kid, actually was the one who kind of like protected Martin from his mad or violent outbursts or situations where he could get mad or violent because Maurice said that when Martin was a kid, he would get into a lot of physical fights and the psychologist noticed that when he was being revalued for disability, he had become a lot more violent. He would threaten violence often, and he even told a psychologist one time that he would love to go out one day and shoot people instead of animals, and so because of this, the doctors say it may not be a good idea for Martin to live with Helen because of this behavior, but Helen said that she never felt scared or threatened around Martin. She felt like he was her best friend. She felt like every time they hung out they had a really really good time together and they were constantly around each other without getting tired of one another. And even weirdly Martin's parents agreed with Helen and thought that Martin living with Helen was good for him because that way he could get outside and meet people and also live on his own and become more independent. And so around this time is when Helen gets to a point where she misses having her pets and she really wants a pet but she knows that she has that restriction that's says that she can't have any more pets in the home. And so in the fine print, it actually says that she specifically can't have animals at that home, not including, you know, other homes. And so what she does is she buys a whole 72 acre farmhouse in Copping. And so at this point she has two homes. She has a farmhouse and she also has her big mansion. And at this farmhouse is where she gets all of her pets. Martin and Helen start living together on this farm most of the time because Helen just becomes obsessed with the farming lifestyle. She loves to farm, she loves to garden, and it's also where all of her animals are at, so they ended up just spending a lot of time there. But with all of this land now, Martin actually started to get a little bit deeper of an interest in specifically guns and hunting. Martin actually bought an air gun that he carried around with him all the time, and he actually tormented people with this gun. He would physically fire it at people or fire it at small markets in the town. And at night, he would shoot air guns at dogs just to make them bark and get mad. And then on October 20th, 1992, at 25 years old, that's when Helen and Martin were driving in the car with their two dogs in the back while Helen is the one that's driving. But while Helen was driving, she quickly veers onto the other side of the road into oncoming traffic and hits her car head on. Helen and Martin and the dogs were all sent to the hospital and Martin actually had to be hospitalized for a whole seven months. It was revealed that Helen previously had gotten into three car accidents before this one because she said that Martin had a tendency to grab onto her steering wheel and just jerk it around to watch Helen panic. And so, when Martin was asked about this, did you, you know, jerk around the steering wheel in order to hit Helen? He denied it and said that it wasn't like that at all. While Martin and Helen are in the hospital, that's when Martin's dad Maurice moves into the farmhouse in order to upkeep and take care of the animals. But unfortunately, due to all of this, Helen, as well as the two dogs, did pass away. After Helen passed away, all of Helen's assets were totaled to around over a million dollars that she left all to Martin. And so Martin's mother, Carlene, actually steps in and says, no way, like, you are not getting control of a million dollars. Like, he's gonna blow it all in a day. And so that is when his mother, Carlene, applies for for granted guardianship of this money and his mom actually won the case because during this time I said that Martin is still in the hospital and so his mother was kind of in control or in partnership of Martin's money. Seven months later after Helen passed away that is when Martin was released from the hospital and that is when he finds out that all this money was left for him both the mansion and the farmhouse was put into Martin's name but he also finds out that his mother has guardianship over the amounts of money. And so that means Martin and Helen's joint bank account is now in Carlene's name. And then on August 14th, 1993, 2 months after Martin being home, that is when Martin's dad's friends come to the farmhouse and they find no one home even though Maurice's car was in the driveway. When he walked up to the home, he found a note taped to the front door that says, "Quote, call the police." This friend looks into Maurice's car and finds that there's thousands of dollars in cash just laying on the front seat. So immediately Maurice's friend calls the police and the police show up and they can't find Maurice or any evidence suggesting what happened. And so they start going outside of the home a little bit and there was four dams surrounding the farm and so they call in a dive team to investigate all four dams. Two days later that is unfortunately when they found maurice's body in a dam nearest to the house he is found with a weight tied around his neck but with the state of his body and after an autopsy was done it was believed that maurice actually did this to himself martin ended up inheriting a little under 500 dollars from his father's death Martin then sells the farmhouse for $143,000 and then moves back full-time into the mansion. And you would think that, you know, after Martin suffering really traumatic deaths, the death of Helen and the death of his father, he would just, you know, be isolated and he would not want to talk to anyone. But surprisingly, he was the complete opposite. He started going out every single night to the clubs. He was wearing only expensive suits and lizard skin shoes, basically just blowing all of the money that Helen... So it's believed that he kind of wore suits and dresses up in order to get attentions from strangers because with his dad and Helen being gone, he understandably probably just started to feel extremely lonely. He would brag about how successful his business was and how successful he was in the landscaping business, although it was all lies. But these conversations would never lead to any friendships or relationships because a lot of people just described Martin as very awkward and off-putting. There was actually a specific restaurant that Martin would go to like every other day and he dressed himself in a bright blue suit with a ruffled shirt underneath like he was Harry Styles or something. And the people at the restaurant would often make fun of him and make fun of the way that he dressed and his style. And the restaurants staff tried to be nice to Martin and welcome him because they felt bad and clearly Martin was in there so often so he had no friends and every time he would come in he'd come in by himself but and then from 1993 to 1995, over the next two years, he decided to travel in hopes of finding a friend or some type of human interaction that he craved. He traveled to 14 different places all overseas and says that he hated every single one of them. He says that the people were annoying, the food was bad, the music was bad, but a lot of people would say that Martin was actually the problem. A lot of people said that they found him very awkward to talk to. They felt very uncomfortable around him and just avoided him at all costs. Martin actually said that the only parts of his trips that he actually liked were the plane rides because he would be sitting next to someone or if he got a middle seat, he would be sitting next to two people and he could talk to them the entire ride there and they would have nowhere to escape or nowhere to leave. And so when he would get home from all of his trips, he took this alone time that he had a lot more of to buy a bunch of more guns and practice shooting and it was around this time where Martin's interest in torturing animals started to come back because after Martin's arrest, police actually found a lot of bestiality films in Martin's possession. And then in 1995, at the age of 28 years old, that's when Martin gets very depressed and he tries to off himself. He said that he attempted to off himself because, quote, I just feel like more people are against me. When I tried to be friendly towards them, they just walked away. This became an everyday occurrence. Martin also started to drink very heavily, and he would often go to bars hoping that maybe the drunk version of him will get him some attention, but it honestly just made him feel 10 times worse. He would try to conversate with his neighbors as well, but during one of the conversations with his neighbors, his neighbor said that Martin said to him, quote, one day I'm gonna do something that will make everyone remember me. During 1995, that's when Martin did have two girlfriends by the name of Mary and Petra. He actually dated Mary for around eight months, and Mary said that their relationship was fine. They started dating when she was 16 and he was 27, so that is probably a big reason why she said that it was just fine. She said that Martin was very childish, but a nice person. She said that she actually saw him cry once when they were on a boat and the boat started to drift off, he looked insanely scared and thought that they were going to die and felt very guilty about it. She said that he loved collecting teddy bears and dolls and actually had a collection of over 200 bears in the mansion and his favorite movie was Chucky. The couple eventually broke up after Martin asked her to marry him and she declined. And then shortly after this, he started dating another woman named Petra. And weirdly, Petra said very similar things to Mary. She said that Martin was very childish but very emotional when it came to his own life or hurting the people that he loved. Petra also noted that Martin had a huge gun collection and would spend a lot of time in the field practicing his shooting. Personally, I just kind of found that odd that like although Martin was this very awkward and violent and like aggressive person to everyone around him, when it came to the people that he loved, he tended to be very emotional and respective, meaning that, like, Martin did have a lot more emotion, but only to the people that were closest to him. So, in the town of the farmhouse, there was this old couple by the name of David and Nolene, aka Sally, who owned this bed and breakfast called the Seascape. And so, prior to David and Sally owning it, Martin's father, Maurice, actually wanted to buy it because, at the time, it was well-priced, and he felt like it was something that him and Carly- could do together and it could help their marriage, they could have like a little bed and breakfast, but before Maurice was able to save up enough money to buy it, that is when David and Sally had bought it. Now, David and Sally had no clue who Maurice was, they didn't know that Maurice was, you know, interested in buying it or Maurice's situation, they just bought it because of the same reasons as Maurice. They thought it was a good location, a nice size, a fairly good price, but you know, something like this is going to affect Maurice because he had been saving up for this and it was so perfect for him. And so something like this, it's kind of like the rug getting sweeped out from underneath you. And so he often complained to Martin about how the couple buying the bed and breakfast was so frustrating and basically just ranting to Martin about all of this. Martin actually took this to the extreme and he viewed this as the couple purposefully and maliciously buying the Airbnb and B to hurt his father's feelings. But as I said earlier, when it came to Martin and the people closest to him, that is where he drew the line. And so Martin then started to blame the couple for causing his father so much stress and heartache and even started to believe that David and Sally were the reason that his father had offed himself. So on April 28th of 1996, that's when Martin set out an alarm for 6 a.m. Petra was actually spending the night that night and found this odd because Martin never ever sets an alarm and so when Petra asked him, hey, what are you doing up at 6 a.m., Martin just said that he was going Martin just said that he was going surfing. Martin showered, the couple had breakfast together, and then Martin left with a duffel bag and a surfboard, and shortly after that, Petra left to go and visit her parents. What Petra didn't know, though, is that in that duffel bag that Martin was carrying was not surfing things, but instead, it was three guns and a Colt AR-15 semi-automatic. He left the house and went to a store where he bought cigarettes, a lighter, a a bottle of tomato sauce, a cup of coffee, and $15 worth of gas. And then at 11.45 p.m., Martin went to the seascapes, walked in, and saw both David and Sally alone in the front area and shot them both dead. During this, a couple had actually showed up to the seascape because they had a room planned, and so before the couple could come in, Martin ran outside and pretended to be the son of David and Sally and told the couple that they were closed today and that they couldn't come inside. The couple described Martin to be very rude and frantic, and so that's when they just left. After this, Martin drove to Port Arthur. At around 1.30 p.m., he arrived and went to Broad Arrow Cafe, which had about 60 to 70 people inside. He ate lunch on a balcony, as well as chatting with some people there. He took his tray inside, sat at an empty table in the back, where he sets up a video camera. He presses record on this video camera, and that's when he takes his gun out from his bag and starts to open fire. He shoots two tourists by the name of Mo Yi Ning and So Leng Chung, both and both of them were killed instantly. Within 15 seconds, he had shot 17 times, killing 10 more people and severely injuring another 10. Martin then goes over to the gift shop on the other side of the cafe where he killed eight more people and injured two others. There were people in the parking lot who heard all of the gunshots, but thought it was possibly part of like a historical reenactment because that was something that they often had there. But when Martin walked into the parking lot to go to his car, he continues to shoot up people in the parking lot where he killed four more people and injured another six, killing men, women, and children. And so Martin gets in his car, but then realizes that all these people just saw him get into this type of car, and so he realizes that he needs to switch cars. So he sees a woman and her two children walking along the side of the road, and so he randomly pulls over and shot and killed the mother and the child that she was carrying. The older child ran off, but Martin caught up with her and shot her dead as well. No one's really sure why he killed this family, because they didn't have a car or anything, they were just walking along the side of the road. So he ran down the road and spotted a gold BMW, so he shot all four people in the car and drove off in the car. He drives a short distance before finding a parked white Toyota with a couple inside. He forces the man to get out the car and into the trunk of the gold BMW, then shoots the woman dead. At around 2pm, so 30 minutes after Martin showed up at Port Arthur, Martin drives him and this man to the bed and breakfast where he forces the man out of the car and sets the car on fire. Minutes after them arriving at the seascapes, that is when the police arrive. Martin takes the man into the seascapes, handcuffs him to a stair rail, and uses this man as a hostage. And so at this point is where we start the standoff. At 2.10 p.m., a woman from the ABC network called the Airbnb to ask Martin some questions about the killing. On the phone, Martin introduced himself as Jamie and answered several questions before randomly threatening to kill the hostage if she calls there again. At this point, no one knew that Sally and David were dead. Everyone thought that Sally and David were still alive. So they believed that Martin was holding three hostages instead of one. So because of this, the police never opened fire at all because there was three lives at risk. The police get on the phone with Martin and try to negotiate with him to let the man go and surrender. He says the only way he would leave is if he is put on an army helicopter, taken to the airport and allowed to flee the country. And so basically he's just asking the police police, hey, can you help me flee from my crime? So the police refuse that, obviously, and they're on the phone with him for hours trying to come to an agreement before Martin's phone eventually dies. The police are still outside waiting for Martin to walk out for 18 hours straight in hopes of getting the hostage out, but what they don't know is that Martin had actually already killed the hostage. Martin tries to think of an escape plan, and so he tries to burn down the Airbnb to create a distraction so that he can run out the back and leave and so he lights the Airbnb on fire but doesn't run fast enough and he ends up catching his clothes on fire giving him severe burns and so because all of his clothes were on fire he was quickly caught captured and taken to the hospital. On November 7th of 1996 is when Martin's trial begins. He first pleads not guilty but his lawyers persuaded him to plead guilty. Martin overall had killed 35 people and injured 23. The court sentenced Martin to 35 life sentences, plus an extra 1,652 years in prison without possibility of parole. It was clear that he showed no remorse of his actions and would often make jokes about what he did as he was in prison and the lives that he took and make jokes about all of the lives that he took. Martin was sent to the Hobart's Risden prison and was placed into a specially built cell glass box and he stayed in this box for eight months before being placed in solitary confinement. I'm assuming it's very similar to the glass box that they kept Hannibal Lecter in, if you guys have ever seen that movie, so a box like that for eight months. In 2006, he was moved to a different prison, still in solitary confinement, and then in November of 2006, he was moved to a mental health unit, part of the prison, and at his mental health unit, he became a lot more violent by attacking other inmates, nurses, security, and even tempting and even attempted to off himself eight times. As far as the aftermath of all of this, as for today, Martin is being held in a max security unit in prison as being and is being heavily medicated to prevent violent outbursts. And even with his heavy meds, he is still violent and has recently actually punched one of his nurses so bad that he broke her jaw. Martin's mom to this day, for some reason, believes that her son is innocent. She said that despite the police finding the video footage that Martin had made of him shooting at at Port Arthur, having a hostage at the Airbnb and killing many, many people, even Martin himself had admitted to it and was making jokes about it, but for some reason his mother still believed that her son was innocent and that they have no proof that he was even at Port Arthur that day. And so it just seems that possibly Martin's mom is just still in denial about the whole thing. Martin's little sister does not support her mom at all. Martin's little sister does believe that Martin was there. His sister believes that Martin definitely did this and there is so much proof to show it. She even left her home because her mom was getting too much. She even left her job, she got a new name because she was just done with Martin and being associated with him and his name. There are some speculations today that Martin had killed his father in order to get the inheritance money, but that's all speculation. As far as his girlfriend, as I said, he had a girlfriend named Petra. Her reaction to all of this was understandably complete shock. She never wanted to see Martin again, and this was actually her first boyfriend and says that it affected her ability to trust and date other men. Petra only visited Martin twice in prison, but that's it. The shooting prompted significant gun reform under then-the-Prime Minister John Howard via via the 1996 National Firearms Agreement. This law basically banned rapid fire firearms from civilian ownership, except under certain restricted licenses and tightened requirements for firearm licensing, registration, and just overall safety storage. So yeah, that is the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you are on YouTube or if you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find this podcast, be sure to rate it five stars because that really helps me out a lot and as always I love you I love you I love you and I will see you guys next week bye